Good morning, again. I remembered the on switch this week. Every week, um, Jody needs a title for the sermon. And the last nine Sundays have been easy. Part five, part six, part seven, part eight, part nine. So we were, we were looking at Jesus' prayer in John 17, and again, the recognition, and I, and I hope each one of us really, on, on a very genuine, personal basis, take personally what's being prayed in this prayer. This is Jesus' prayer for us, um, and I think we have a, a false tendency when we're dealing with God uh, to minimize the personalness simply because we recognize, well, Jesus is praying in this prayer. Jesus is praying for billions of people. And yet to somehow recognize, but this God who can speak a universe into existence, this God who knows for whatever reason this matters to him, knows the number of hairs on my head, and he's watching the countdown, but that recognition that he knows us individually and personally, and he really is saying, I'm praying this for you. So that as, as we're going through this study, that we would be pondering and, and conversing back and forth with Jesus, that we're serious about agreeing with him on the things he's praying. We're, we're genuinely serious about participating and choosing and growing in the things he's praying for us. So we're not just doing an interesting little or a boring little. We're not just doing a study. We're gaining insight into the heart of Jesus and the passion of Jesus on our behalf. And as we approach the end of this chapter, um, again, let's start at verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you've given me, for you loved me, before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. And so it's interesting, several times through this prayer, Jesus addresses the issue of name, the issue of, of the Father's name or in His name. And throughout His teaching, the disciples, that was, a, that was a frequent theme of His teaching, was comprehending name. And we've talked about this before, but let's just freshly recognize that when Scripture is using the concept of name, it's not just the physical name. I remember when I was a kid uh, in San Antonio, and, and we lived in a largely Hispanic neighborhood, and I went to a wonderful little grade school called Sarah S. King. Um, it'll never make the news. Uh, but at Sarah S. King, I was surprised because very quickly, I met several little boys named Jesus. Uh, and that's not we, how we pronounced it. It was Jesus. But I was perplexed. It's like, I thought that was like a one-on. You know, one-on, one-off, one guy gets that name. The name itself is not the issue. 
Thousands of people could be called Jesus. At the time Jesus was called Jesus, there were already other Jesuses. And there would continue to be Jesuses. There would continue to be Yeshua's in the Hebrew culture. The name physically was not the point. But the name meant something. And that recognition that that the name that points to the salvation of God, which other people had, and it was a derivative of Joshua, that 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 name captured something. But now it's more than the physical name or even the meaning of the physical name. That biblically, name carries this. That when that phrase is used in the name of, it's talking about character, it's talking about identity, it's talking about the nature of whoever you're addressing, whatever that name is about. It's about their purposes and priorities. That addressing the issue of name is about their heart, their passions. And it's about their authority, their power. So that, and we know this, but as as God calls us to operate in his name, as Jesus says, now pray in my name, that he's saying these things. He's saying, now when you pray, don't just use my name as, as a way to tell people the prayer's over. Use my name in your thinking, in your conceiving, in your believing that you comprehend. Father, I'm going to pray for some things as we just did. We just prayed for some things as a body. And we prayed for a variety of things. We prayed for physical needs. We prayed for health and, and finances and life concerns. We prayed for salvation. We prayed for growth. We prayed for a variety of things in different people's lives. And that one of the things we get to keep growing in and applying to our thought life as we pray for each of those things is, Father, I want to pray in your character and identity. I'm going to pray according to your purposes and priorities. I want your heart and your passions expressed through my prayer. And I also want to remember and recognize and choose. I base this prayer on the power and the authority of a living God who is active in the world. And my prayer is an aspect of me being involved in his bidding and his doing in his kingdom on the planet. So we, we know that, and yet here's, here's this cool thing Jesus said. Jesus says, O righteous Father, in verse 25, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. So he's talking about a deep personal knowledge. And I have made your name known to these disciples. These disciples now have a, a larger, more powerful vision of your character, of your identity. They have a larger vision of your purposes, what matters to you. And they also have a more vivid understanding of your power and authority in the universe. They comprehend your heart more today than they did three and a half years ago. And again, that's why Jesus acts so uh, almost appalled when when, uh, Thomas tells him, you know, show us the Father. Wait a minute, that wasn't Thomas. It was Philip. Anyway, one one of those 11 guys because the 12th was already disqualified. But one of those guys basically said, show us the Father. 
And Jesus said, have I been so long with you that you don't recognize that to know me is to know the Father? To see me is to see the Father. To see my heart and my power and my authority and my character, my purposes, my passions, you now know the Father. And so Jesus is saying, Father, I've known you perfectly. You and I have been in eternal union, and now I've revealed you to them. They know your name. But I like what he adds to that. He says, I have made your name known to them and will make it known. So part of the cool thing Jesus was saying here is he says, I have revealed a lot of who you are to them. They know you better today than they ever did before. But he's also saying this, and Father, you and I both know this. I'm not finished. I'm going to keep revealing their name. Now, a huge aspect of that that Jesus had to have in mind because of the night is that he's saying, Father, in the next 24 hours, they're going to know more about your heart than they've ever known before. They're going to know more about your passion for sinners than they've ever understood before. They're going to understand more how deeply personal your desire and longing to rescue men and women and children from sin is. Because they're going to see me live it out and die it out in a horrendous way. They're getting ready to find out more about your name. Turn to Ephesians Chapter 1, and the passage that was read for us this morning, almost twice, we almost got to hear it twice, but in Ephesians 1, Paul praying this, he says, for this reason, starting in verse 15, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints. Do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So first of all, piggybacking on what Jesus said, I've known you, Father, and now I'm revealing you. I have been and I will continue to reveal the true inner nature of your name, your character, your personhood. I'm going to keep revealing that to my disciples. And now Paul, after that death and after that resurrection, is saying, you know what? For you and I to know God, for you and I to know Jesus Christ, for, I, for you and I to really get to know the inner heart and, and I, true identity of this name will require a spirit of revelation. That you and I are not equipped to just bring our intellectual brains. We're not just equipped to bring our, our understanding of language and our intellect. And as beautifully as God has, has gifted any of us. That none of us are equipped to comprehend spiritual truth. Apart from this spirit of revelation and wisdom. And I would expect that most of us go, yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but God's saying, no. Please pause and recognize that means that when you go to the word to know me, you choose that truth. You humble yourself and submit to that truth. That you and I go to the word of God with this humility of, Father, I'm, I'm really asking that as I look into this word, that whether I'm just 
you know, in a, in a really intense two, three hour Bible study and we're going to parse every word in the Greek and the Hebrew or whether I'm just reading a few verses before I go to sleep at night. That as soon as I open this word, that I want to start building a mindset and strengthening a mindset that means I am submitting myself, Father. I am submitting myself and bringing myself so that you can pour out a spirit of wisdom and revelation on little old me. And that Paul is praying this for the believers at Ephesus. And this was actually a letter that was then circulated to other churches throughout Asia Minor. And so that all of these people, Paul is praying, I hope you get this, that you personally put yourself in agreement and alignment that when you go to the word of God, you're asking for a spirit of revelation and wisdom because you recognize that's the only way I'm really going to know God. And that you don't dismiss that and you don't disqualify yourself. But then he goes on, because here out of Ephesians 1, So he says three things. Whoops. Where did everything go? I have, I have electronic. What's the word when you scare things away? Computers are paranoid about me, so they flee. But we'll see what we can get through. Um, He's saying that spirit of revelation. And then he focuses on three amazing things that in order to really know him, those would give me one. The hope of his calling. The riches of the glory of his inheritance in us and to us. And the power toward us. So as he's praying, and we now begin praying with him for that spirit of revelation, he just focuses on three things in this passage. And we could go to other passages and keep building that list. But he's saying, here's one thing I'm hoping that you will start praying for a a spiritual revelation and wisdom and a deeper understanding that comes from God of the hope of your calling. So we have numerous passages in, in the New Testament about you and I our calling in Christ. And we have challenges to that calling. In Ephesians 4, just a couple of chapters, two or three chapters after this, he'll say, now live in a manner worthy of your calling. Figure out what your calling is and then elevate your behavior to fit that calling. But I like what he's focusing on here first. He says, I'm asking that the Holy Spirit will give you and that you will be seeking and praying for this, that you would say, Father, help me to understand the hope of my calling. And one thing I I know is as, as soon as we get together, even a very small group of believers, this will be predictable, that there is somebody in the room 
that already feels somewhat hopeless about your ability to live the Christian life. That even if you've prayed to receive Jesus Christ, and you can remember that day, and whether it was a year ago, or whether it was 15 years ago, or 50 years ago, you remember praying to ask Jesus in your life. And then you're looking at your life, and you're going, I'm not seeing a lot of improvement here. And then you read passages, or you see other believers, and one way or the other, the accuser, the enemy is there to go, you're disqualified. You've had such a long, slow journey of not getting too far that I believe you're disqualified. And so in a sense, part what many believers struggle with, even if we wouldn't say it doctrinally to someone else, that somewhere in there we think, well, I know the calling. The calling's pretty majestic. There it is. It's really high. I think I know a few people who are aspiring and growing and, and are moving in that direction, but not me. For me, that calling is hopeless. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 1 for just a second. And Paul writing to Timothy says this, chapter 1, we'll start in verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. And listen to this, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Jesus Christ from all eternity. And so the enemy and our, our guilt and our shame or our sense of failure, our sense that, that we're the slow kid in the class and, and we're, we're dragging up the rear, and that God is saying, stop measuring your works to decide what's possible. Stop measuring your track record in your history to decide what I'm able to accomplish in you. Stop using your past. You know, and we, we've talked about this numerous times. Paul was a guy who could look back at his past and be appalled. That it wasn't just he could look back and say, well, here's, here's what I accepted Jesus. And before that, I wasn't a believer. What he's saying and would have to say honestly is, you know what, before that, I hunted down Christians. I put them in prison. I ripped them away from their families. I cheered over their deaths and I was passionate and fervent in my opposition to Jesus Christ and, and the slaughter and, and the attempt to wipe out Christianity. That was Paul's goal, to wipe out Christianity. And when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, Jesus didn't say, why are you opposing my people? You remember what Jesus said. Why are you opposing me? Those people are me. These are me. This, these are my sons, my daughters, my body. He didn't say all that, but it's right in there. You're opposing me. And that recognition that Paul could look back and go, I was horrible. And thank God my track record does not predict my future. Thank God my track record does not predict my future. Thank God your track record does not predict your future. 
And that's what he's saying is lift your hope up to something higher than your track record. Lift your hope up higher to something than, than what you look back on and say, that's, that's it. That's all my works. That's how faithful I've been so far. And even your good works, he's saying, lift your vision higher than that because you get to focus and I get to focus on the grace and the purposes of Jesus Christ. So what are Jesus' purposes and plans to work through you? Focus on that. When, when God brings you into a moment or a situation of opportunity, the enemy will be right there. He will be right there to go, you're the wrong guy for this job. I can't tell you, seriously, honestly, how many thousands of times the enemy has whispered that in my ear. You're the wrong guy for this job. You can't be a preacher. You can't be a counselor. You should go home and build something out of wood. And even that will probably be a little crooked. But you can't be the right guy for this. And, and in myself, the truth is, I'm not the right guy for this. I'm not the right guy for this. But he is. His grace and his purposes mean you and I get to be vessels of something majestic. Seriously. Vessels of something majestic. The grace and purposes of Jesus Christ lived out through you, in you. Exactly as you are, whatever track record and history you've brought, God's saying, please, for the next moment, set aside your track record, look me in the face and say, you agree with my purposes and my grace, and then let's go on with the next moment. I have things to accomplish in you and through you. I have people to love. I have people to welcome. I have people to sacrifice for. I have people to care for. I have people to speak a word of truth to. I have people to encourage. I have all kinds of things I want you on your knees in powerful prayer for. And your track record won't equip you for that moment. My grace and my purposes will. My abiding presence equips you for that moment. And so that's part of what he's saying here. But I also love what he adds to this. Which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. So again, God's making it real clear. All that majestic power I pour into this vessel. The vessel that is you. All these purposes and all this grace I invest in this vessel that is you. My father and I have literally been thinking about this and planning for this moment forever. And we talk about that every now and then, but every now and then God alludes to it. And I really believe God says it several times through Scripture because He wants us to comprehend it. This moment that I'm getting ready to address, this moment that you're getting ready to address, this moment of opportunity, this moment of ministry, this moment of temptation, this moment of battle, that here's Jesus Christ whispering in your ear, son, daughter, I promise you, I have been ready for this moment since ancient eternity. I saw and I got ready. You are not alone and you are not unequipped for this moment. In all eternity past, my Father and I prepared in what you need, dwelling in me, Jesus Christ, and I now dwell in you. And we're supposed to think that crazy stuff so that it changes how we face the moment. So that it equips us and strengthens us with the hope of our calling in that moment. 
I'm the right person for this moment because of Jesus Christ dwelling within me, not my track record, but because of the purposes and the power and the grace of Jesus Christ dwelling in me for this moment. He also says the riches and the glory of his inheritance. That if I'm really going to comprehend knowing God, this spirit of revelation and wisdom wants, God wants to keep teaching you and I, what do I now possess in Jesus Christ? There's a, a little blue handout right there by your left hand, Stephen, is a blue handout. You want to lift that up? Okay, many of you have that handout. If you don't have that handout, I would encourage you to pick up that handout and if we run out, somebody by the name of Jody might be able to make more copies. Oh, is that available on the website as well? Okay, gbf.org, correct? Oh, no, or is it? Yeah, gbf.org. gbfbastrop.org. Otherwise, you could be talking to the GBF church that's in Bangladesh or <laughs> Bastrop. GBF Bastrop. So either pick that up or go to the website. And what that blue handout is, is just a very small gathering of your inheritance in Christ. It's just a very small gathering of a number of passages through the New Testament that talk about what was delivered to you and accomplished for you the second you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And I would bet that most of us didn't know all that stuff when we asked Jesus into our heart. Maybe none of us. But what he's saying is, I got it done. I wasn't waiting for you to figure out what I was going to do. I just accomplished it for you. And now you and I growing in our, in our faith, in our trust, in our belief in what Jesus accomplishes, means we're willing to learn the details of our inheritance. And we start realizing, this is rich. This is abundant. This is glorious. And if I've, if I've not yet immersed myself in comprehending it, I will miss that. I could just think, you know, it's wonderful that God sent his son to die for me. I'm really glad that I won't go to hell. I'm looking forward to heaven. And we could end right there. And, and our salvation could be real. That we really have trusted in that death. And what God is saying here is, I'm asking that, Paul is praying, that a spirit of wisdom and revelation would open up your understanding to go deeper into comprehending the inheritance. What have you received in Jesus Christ? Because it will keep mattering to the next moment, to the moment of temptation, the moment of need, the moment of, of guilt, the moment of shame, the moment of feeling disqualified. It will matter that you and I comprehend our true full standing in Christ. And so that handout, just for those of you who already have it or, or who go get it, either physical blue page or website, gbfbastrop.org, gbf that you get it with the recognition. The first list, there's a list of 77. Those are unconditional. Stephen, read the first three out loud. I like that attitude. Keep that, uh, keep that going. I 
Okay. Now, now drop down about 20, 25 and read two or three randomly. Okay, thank you. So, 77 like that. Now, I would expect that all of you hearing those red go, well, yeah, I know that's true. But the, the challenge is, am I thinking those true things at the moment? At the moment of need, at the moment of deprivation, at the moment of challenge, at the moment of battle, at the moment of temptation, am I gathering my awareness for how that will change me? And those 77, that first list, those are unconditionally true. And what I mean by that is at your worst moment, what God has accomplished for you in Christ remains your possession. You don't keep have to qualify for it. Jesus is your only qualification. Now, the second list, I won't ask you to read any from that. The second list is a shorter list, and those are conditional inheritance. Those are things that we choose to grow in. They're supernaturally available. But I'm going to have to choose. Well, actually, read, read, read one or two. From the second list. Okay. Good. Thank you. So, to be the salt of the earth, to be the light to the earth, you are now supernaturally equipped for that, but it's not going to unconditionally happen. You and I have to choose to be salt. We have to choose to be light. A overwhelming victory over the enemy is now supernaturally available to every single one of us. And, and whether you're a brand new baby Christian, whether you've been a Christian for decades, that supernatural ability to defeat the enemy is unconditionally available, but I must choose to pursue the victory. And I can give in to defeat at any moment. So it's not unconditionally going to happen. I must choose to grow in it, but it's part of my inheritance because it's only supernaturally possible. So you, you and I saying, Father, reveal to me more of who you are. I want to see your name, your character, your purposes, your passion, your power, your authority. God's saying, I love it when you pray that. Go study your inheritance. Go comprehend more the riches and the power and the glory of your inheritance in Christ. Get a larger vision of what I've accomplished for you because all of that Gives you a larger and more majestic picture of who I am. And the last one he prayed for in this passage was power. To recognize the power of God. And, and we won't read it right now. But that recognition that what, where he goes on to is, here's the power. This is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And then raised him above every name, power, authority, and dominion. I think, I think that passage, at least for me, comes up two or three times a month at least, I think, here. Because it's such an important passage for us to have envisioned. All the power of God raised Jesus from the dead. And now he's saying, you are seated in Christ. That's part of your inheritance, but it's part of your vision of power and authority as well. That as you're facing difficult moments this week, please... 
as you're facing difficult moments this week, that you and I would actually quickly agree with God. Father, ah, this is hard to comprehend, Father, but here will I have to overcome this temptation or will I have to do this act of service towards somebody who's being sort of obnoxious? Right at this moment, Father, I want to remember this. All the power that raised Jesus, your son, from the dead, that overcame sin and death and put him in authority at right hand, all that power is available for me. And it matters that we agree with that. And we could turn Christianity into another dead religion. We can't. We can turn Christianity into a, just another dead list of do this and don't do that. And grit your teeth and try real hard. And God is saying, you know what? That is impossible for you to live the real thing by gritting your teeth and trying real hard. And I, and I trust that many of you have already discovered that's powerless. That's useless. It's discouraging. Well, there is one other possibility. That it's deceiving and we start to believe in our own righteousness. So we either think we're getting it down pretty good. Or we recognize the real truth that we're failing at it. And one of the majestic things about being a Christian. Is that now because my entire life of sin. Past, present, future has been paid for and removed from my account. Now I'm free to grow. And I can even recognize, Father, today I didn't get very far. I took another step here and I took another step there. But Father, I'm looking ahead and we got thousands of steps remaining. And he goes, but I'm still delighted you took today's steps. I'm still delighted you were willing to move forward here and there. I'm literally delighted in your growth. Because everything that remains unfinished is forgiven. And now you're trusting in my power. So that you and I get this fresh vision of Christianity that, that I hope we keep refreshing frequently. I cannot live the Christian life. I am never supposed to live the Christian life apart from the indwelling life and power of Jesus Christ. Then I can grow. I still won't be perfect. Not today. Check with me tomorrow. I still won't be perfect. But I can keep growing in the life and the power of Jesus Christ dwelling within me. And I recognize that the power available to me is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Not a different power. Not a little cheaper version of it. That, that was the nuclear power. And, and I just get the 120 volt outlet power. I get nuclear power for this. I get the full power of God for this. We normally don't think that way. I normally don't think that way. But what God's saying is, keep learning to think that way. All of my power available for this moment. You got to be gracious for a few more minutes to that husband or wife or that child or that parent. Go nuclear. Go nuclear. Not against them. Go nuclear in terms of the power of God. Father, I want to remember that this is not about me gritting my teeth and trying to be nice. This is about the majestic power of Jesus Christ dwelling within me to be true grace to my wife or husband or parents or children or neighbor or friend or boss or employee or co-worker or 
fellow driver on I-35. That whatever the challenge is, God's saying, please go to the majestic power that I've offered. And you're going to need a spiritual vision for that. Stop settling for the human. Go majestic. Go powerful. Go with the power that raised my son and placed him at my right hand with authority. This is real stuff God's telling us. He's not just telling us so that we envision it for a few minutes on a Sunday morning. But so that we take this vision, this spirit of revelation and wisdom, and we take it into our thought life and our prayer life for the week. And again, I would, I would really encourage you, if you have not looked at that list, please look at that list. That, that list is not my list. That's God's list. And, it's, and again, it's an incomplete list. Feel free to add to the list. As you discover new things in Scripture, feel free to expand the list of your inheritance. But you're recognizing the more I understand my inheritance, the power of my inheritance, the hope and power I have to grow in my calling and inheritance, the more I see and know the living God. This is a two-way street. The more I know Him, the more equipped I realized I am. The more I see the power of His equipping, the more I come to know and understand Him. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You that everything You desire for us is so you can bless us. Everybody in this room is unfinished. Everybody in this room, Father, still has more that you want us to gain. Everybody in this room, Father, still has more to comprehend about your goodness, your love, your incredible character, the, the beauty and the majesty of the Godhead, a Father, Son, and Spirit. One God who set out to save us from the sin that first Adam and Eve chose for us and then we played our strong choosing role as well. And you still loved us while we were sinners, while we were enemies. And Father, Son, and Spirit, before the foundations of the world in ancient eternity, you determined how to rescue us and then you planned for every day of our lives, literally every moment of our lives, how you would bring power and hope and inheritance, how you would bring calling and equipping. You prepared what we need. And Father, as, as a generous Father, it breaks your heart when we leave your gifts sitting on the shelf unused. And we've all done it, Father. But I pray that you would help us, that, that we would determine that through the week ahead, we want to unwrap a little bit more some of the gifts you've given us. To understand a little bit more the beauty of our inheritance, the hope of our calling, the power of your equipping. Jesus, you reveal to us the name of the Father. And you now continue to reveal that to us. Help us to cooperate. Help us to cooperate. We pray together in Jesus' name.